It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right now, though, let's turn our attention back to the UK and uh, back to what is happening uh, in terms of coronavirus. Delighted to welcome Government Minister Simon Clark to the show. He's Minister for Regional Growth and Local Government. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, let's uh, let's talk about you know, growth. It's a key issue. Lots of people's attention as that death toll is going down, thankfully, uh, every every week. Uh, to uh, turn your attention to economic uh, issues and the need to get uh, our, you know, our workplaces back, transport back. Back, uh, shops, retail, just get back to some semblance of normal life. Um, the World Health Organization uh, has published, well, has funded a study published in the Lancet, uh, which suggests that uh, Britain is perhaps uh, being rather more safe than it needs to be in terms of that two-meter social distancing rule. It's far more than France, Sweden, Austria, Austria Singapore, indeed Germany, Netherlands, and Australia have got. Um, it gives you a one. Well, it basically, if you are no no social distancing at all, uh, and someone is in front of you who has the infection you've got a 13% chance of catching it. If you stand one metre away, it's a 2.6% chance. Two metres away, it's a 1.3% chance. So there's no doubt at all. If we halved the distance from two metres to one metres that we stood apart, we would double our risk of catching the virus. But it would still be a very small risk of catching the virus. But it would enable an awful lot of workplaces to reopen, shops to reopen, pubs uh, and uh, restaurants to reopen. Is this being considered by the government? Well, we all want to see as many uh, workplaces reopen as possible when it's safe for them uh, to do so. And obviously, the government is determined to deliver uh, the most robust recovery possible. But we continue to take uh, our advice from SAGE and from our scientific community, from our scientific community. And their advice remains uh, that two metres is the appropriate distance. And that remains the government's position. Uh, so two metres is, is what we believe to be the right distance to safeguard the public. But obviously, we continue to make sure that we put measures in place that allow workplaces to adapt uh, as safely as possible. And, and what, is it, what is the information that the SAGE advisors have that the World Health Organization doesn't have and those uh, guiding those in, uh, in, in, in Germany, in, in Sweden, in France, that they don't have? What, what, what unique bit of information do they have that suggests that two metres is the right answer? Well, it's, it's not unique information. There are, there are many other countries which do have a two-metre rule. I mean, there are. For that not question, very many at all. Scientists, but, uh, 
Uh, you, you would have to ask the scientists on that basis. But as I say, we, we, we have to follow our, 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 our scientific community where they're offering clear advice on, on things like this. And it's really but, but this is but No, but this is about trade-offs, isn't it? No, but we could argue if we wanted to be completely safe, we would say 10 metres. I mean, the reality is you could argue that two metres is too close because you've still got a 1.3% chance of catching the virus. If when we've got a very low prevalence of uh, of uh, infection rates you know, and say it did you know, continue to go down over the following weeks, as we're certainly hoping it will, um, we, we are talking about a very, very, very small risk of catching the virus. And and yet a very very high risk that we will see a, a massive economic damage um, to you know, workplaces unable to reopen, shops unable to make a profit, pubs and restaurants unable to reopen and make a profit. There is a trade off, which is a trade off that governments have to make, as opposed to scientists. Scientists are just say this is the least risky thing to do, but they're only worrying about one thing. Governments have to make political decisions, worrying about a whole host of different things. Is this being at least considered by the government? Well, I understand the Prime Minister has asked for a review of that evidence base, and that, that is something which he's, he's spoken about before. But the, the, the point is that we continue to be clear that our, our, our stance is two metres. And clearly all government, you're right, is about trade-offs. So that's why we're, putting in place, why we're putting in place measures to allow for a phased reopening of society. I mean, just uh, 10 days ago, uh, I announced £50 million to help reopen High Street safely. And it's, it is about making sure that where things can operate, that they, they, they get into a position... Uh, to do so. And so we had some easements yesterday. We'll have further easements allowing many more shops to open on June the 15th. Uh, we've obviously got some schools back. We, we are moving back. We, we are moving in a direction which is really positive in terms of allowing us to escape the restrictions of lockdown at a pace which is safe to do so. And that, and that, that is absolutely our determination. You're right, these are inherently political decisions. But we do need to base them on the best scientific evidence that we've got. And it, you know, it isn't for us to second guess our scientists when they give us a clear, a clear steer on an issue of this, of this significance. Okay, well, let's talk, let's talk about this return. I mean, we saw a pretty successful return yesterday of uh, three years across primary schools, reception year one and year six. A majority of schools did reopen uh, in most areas and, and 40% to 70% attendance. Do you expect that more pupils will return as parents sort of you know, put the, re- realise from other parents that it is safe and it is possible for their child to go back? Are you expecting there to be a higher attendance rate soon? Well, we're really grateful to all the uh, the teachers and head teachers who've shown real leadership in getting our, our schools starting to go back as of yesterday. And yes, we do hope that obviously this goes uh, very well. We've been guided by the example of countries who've done this very successfully, people like Norway and Denmark, and the way they've instituted this, allowing children to play in small bubbles and bubbles and uh, that you know that re- reduces the risk enormously of contamination across uh, across the school year group. So the evidence is encouraging from from those places that have done this. We very much hope and expect that to be the case here, and we will then be in a position, hopefully, where more and more parents uh, gather confidence that this is safe. And of course, getting the, these children in these these formative year groups, reception year one and year six, one and year six, back into the classroom has such enormous benefits for their development, and particularly for the development of those from poorer homes. So it is absolutely vital that, among the other uh, challenges of coronavirus, we don't see a widening of the attainment gap, uh, which will obviously then have lifelong ramifications for the children concerned. It is the right thing for these children to be in school. We're making very careful preparations to allow them to allow them to be there. And so far, uh, we, you know, we are delighted by the, uh, the response of everybody, teachers, 
parents and children. Well, I mean, you are a Minister of Responsibility with the Regional Growth and Local Government. What's your advice to those 20 local councils, including, I think, two Tory-run councils who've said to, to local schools, no, you shouldn't reopen? Well, we continue to work with all of uh, the councils expressed reservations, expressed reservations. I mean, uh, it, is our, it is our clear stance as a government that it is safe for schools to reopen following the guidelines that we've set out. And I certainly think that uh, parents would expect that their children uh, should have a right to be in school now that it's safe for them to be so. What we've said is that no, uh, no parent will face fines if they don't send their children back to school. So we're not compelling uh, people to send their, their their children to school, but certainly to school. But certainly, I think for those families that want to, which I hope will be an increasing majority, uh, where it, now it is safe for them to, uh, to be so, then those schools should be open, and I think councils should respect that. OK, well, let's also talk about the prospect of holidays. A lot of people at the beginning of June turning their attention to summer holidays maybe already have holidays booked uh, this summer and worried whether those flights are going to happen at all. But we know some countries across Europe are opening their doors, saying you know, Portugal, Greece, Italy, saying you're welcome to, to, to come and travel here freely, no quarantine. And yet your government is still deciding to impose a quarantine on anyone uh, arriving from uh, any, anywhere in the world for two weeks uh, as of next week um, and also imposing a quarantine on people returning Learning from holidays themselves, even if they're British. Uh, yet it's emerged today that um, this will allow this quarantine rule, which supposedly to keep us all safe, will allow people to arrive on a plane at, say, Heathrow and then get on public transport to travel to the home. And then while they're found their 40 day quarantine, are allowed to go out and food shop. Um, this makes a mockery of any attempt at a quarantine. Uh, is the government really going to go ahead with this? The government's clear that we want to make sure that as we get cases in our own community, down and as you rightly say thankfully they are now going down we really do want to make sure that we do want to make sure that we're not importing fresh risk uh, from people returning from abroad and so this is a measure that we're introducing from next monday uh, clearly a lot of countries have gone down this route and uh, it would not be something you'd want to do in normal circumstances but it's a reflection of the fact that we we are now at a delicate age of this uh, of this pandemic. We, and so we're following the example of countries who tackled this very successfully, people like New Zealand, people like New Zealand, South Korea, uh, you know, and making sure that we are not at this at this stage seeing new cases coming into the country unchecked. I think that is well, but, the but, right. But, well, yes, but but, but taking temperatures and asking people to provide, uh, um, you know, uh, blood samples and that that would make more sense. Allowing someone to get on a plane, you know, get get off a plane and get onto a bus, a coach, or a or a train or a tube, is frankly insane. Well, we're very clear that uh, wherever possible, people should be taking private transport to go to where they're going to quarantine. And that, uh, you know, that but is But there's no point. But, but I mean, come on, Simon Clark, with all due respect, there is no point someone quarantining for two weeks after getting off a plane after a two week holiday in Spain or France this summer. If they've if they've gone on the train or a bus or a tube and they've infected 100 people on the way home, that, that, that serves no purpose whatsoever. If, if, if you're going to have the quarantine, it, it would have to ban people from doing that. Surely you'd have to put people up in hotels and uh, and the like. It, you either have a proper quarantine or don't bother at all. This is going to put millions and millions of families who are desperate to get away and get a, a break in the sun after what they've gone through for the last few months. Um, those of us who didn't get a break in Durham, obviously, during the lockdown. Um, and, and, and it's going to put an awful lot of people, uh, uh, make it totally impossible for them to go on a holiday, but for no real purpose whatsoever. 
Well, we, we do believe there is a very, a very strong purpose of this. I think you know, many listeners will, will, will recognise the fact that we absolutely need to do our utmost to make sure we're not importing fresh risk from people returning. Clearly, we will keep the policy under active review. It will be reviewed on a three-weekly basis, three basis, and we don't want this to be in place for any longer than it's, it's necessary. But it is about trying, you know, you, you spoke earlier about trying to balance the risks here and balance the, uh, you know, the inevitable trade-offs in terms of managing this pandemic and keeping our economy going. And we are absolutely determined that we should protect the British public while allowing our economy to get back on its feet as quickly okay. as we can. Many people, I suspect, this year will end up holidaying in the UK, and obviously the UK, and obviously it's been a very rough time for uh, our own tourism sector, which has, you know, suffered terribly during this. And certainly that is an option which, you know, I, I really do hope people will explore because it would be a boost to our own economy. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. France, of course, said they'll have a reciprocal 14-day quarantine, but we'll wait and see. Well, let's talk about this uh, with Stephen Hammond. He's a former health minister. He's a Conservative MP. He's also a member of the Future of Aviation Group. Good morning to you, Stephen. Hi, good morning to you. Um, Well, it may well be there won't need to be a group because there won't be a Future of Aviation if we're not allowed to get on planes and go on holiday, quite apart from the the business travel and the cargo travel that's all very much a part of that. Um, Do you think that the 14-day quarantine plan is A, a good idea, and B, will actually uh, come into place and lost for more than three weeks? So the question, the answer to your question are, A, I think the government would be wise to take a much more targeted approach rather than a blanket approach. And I think there's a pretty easy set of measures that they could replace the blanket approach with. Uh, and we might want to talk about those in a minute. Uh, and C, uh, B, rather, I think that, you know, there is a review on the 29th of March. And if even if they bring them in this way, the blanket approach, I hope that they will by the 29th of, uh, sorry, 29th of June 
bring in a, uh, some changes. And, and that is the hope, isn't it, that actually they, they, they said they were going to do it. Now they have to save face by bringing it in. But at a time in June when, you know, children are going back to school, people are still at work, we're, we're still, you know, people won't be looking perhaps to go on holiday until July and then they can they can release it in time for people to go on holiday because people don't know whether they can book flights or not. Now, EasyJet sent out a, an email to regular customers, including myself yesterday, saying, uh, look, you know, you basically to summarise, you can book flights now and even and if we are still in lockdown you're not allowed to take the flights we'll let you move those flights to another date for free at which point virtually every single flight seemed to disappear within a matter of minutes uh, as people realized there wasn't that risk of having to pay a fee to to move a flight um there are lots of people though who just uh, can't risk booking anything until they know for sure and those be the people who you know perhaps had the worst lockdown uh, you know they're not they're not people who just take lots of different holidays and live in wonderful homes with gardens and it's all gone fine there'll be people who really frankly are desperately in need of a of a week on a on a beach in in in, in spain or, or or france or wherever to actually sort of relax after going through some pretty tough times yeah i mean i yeah as i say i think that there is a very sensible targeted approach that the government could take here and i i hear emma's skepticism about air bridges uh, but I, i'm not sure i share that skepticism i think that you know we were later into this disease and some of the measures and we're clear that our uh, number of transmission rates are falling. I think you could also do some pre-travel uh, certification. You have temperature tests at airports. Uh, you could also potentially say, well, there are still higher-risk areas where we want to maintain some form of quarantine with as well. All of that would allow um, tra- travel to start to pick up uh, and also uh, would allow some of those people who have been locked down longer to have some certainty or some probability that uh, the 14 blanket 14 day quarantine wouldn't exist uh, yes. and i think it just feels uh that uh, the medical evidence for this is is equivocal at best uh doing it now and therefore i think a lot of people are very concerned that this, this feels like a uh, sort of a, a, a sledgehammer to crack a nut in that regard and that's the thing, isn't it? And I mean, we know in the countries they have been able to uh, uh, contain the virus if they've been able to do so with a lot of testing, lots of tracing. But again, temperature checks, you arrive in Hong Kong or Singapore, you get a huge number of tests and, and checks. Um, and, and, you know, they, what they, you know, they'll put an app on your mobile phone and track you. I mean, this is exactly the sort of thing that we could have been developing as opposed to something which is going to absolutely, completely uh, destroy the travel industry. Um, airline industry, we know, is absolutely struggling right now. But also our tourism industry and, and People forget, you know, it's not just us traveling abroad. It's it's wanting tourists to come to this country. Yeah. Two hundred billion pound industry. It's nine percent of our GDP. We we absolutely need to make sure that it stays alive. Of course we do, uh, and we also need uh, business travel. We need to say when it's safe to do so. And I think that if a sensible targeted measure is safe, that we're open for business. Um, we want people to come here. We want Britons to be able to travel away, but. Clearly, you have to be alive to the health risk. But there is, as I say, I think there is, as you've indicated, the track and tracing system that we're putting in place, temperature tests at airports, are all sensible, reasonable measures that people would comply with, which would allow the tourism industry and the travel industry to uh, start more quickly.
Yeah, I mean, and that that's the thing. I mean, certainly in terms of the revelations in The Guardian today uh, suggest that actually under the legislation that's being published by uh, Priti Patel, the Home Secretary today, uh, you'd be you'd be required to be in quarantine for 14 days. You'd face a £1,000 fine if you were out of your home. However, you are allowed to use public transport to travel from the airport to your accommodation. You'd be allowed to change accommodation if necessary during that period. And you would, if you couldn't find any other way of getting food, be allowed to go to a supermarket to buy food. That just makes sense. Absolute mockery of it, doesn't it? Well, I think it probably does, doesn't it? I mean, any reasonable person hearing what you've just said will say, "Well, hold on, I can understand the quarantine because you think transmission rates uh, might go up if we don't have it." But if you're allowing all those exceptions, what's the point of it? Uh, and also, some of the exceptions of people coming in are going to be much less traceable about where they've been and whether you've come through an airport or not. So, uh, I mean, I think you know, there's, there's a sort of the people will be saying, "What you know." Do you really believe in this if you're going to allow those exceptions? So I think the government, the government could move very quickly to a much more targeted approach, which I think would enjoy much greater public consent and much greater public agreement, and also keep Britain safe and open for business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's absolutely the key part. This is going to be a key part of, of getting people back to work. Where are you on the, the two-metre rule and the one-metre rule? We spoke to Neil Dixon, who's uh, uh, Chief Executive of the NHS Confederation, a bit earlier. And, uh, and, and, he, you know, and, 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 uh, and he obviously said that this is a medical issue. But I uh, spoke to a minister uh, an hour or so ago, uh, Simon Clark, who, who said, look, th- these are inherently political decisions. But, you know, a 1.3% chance of catching the virus if someone's infected next to you from two metres away. 2.6% chance if they're one metres away. Most of the countries around the world are operating one metre or one and a half metres. We could absolutely get more people back to work and more children back to school and pubs open and things if we went to one metres. Would you support that? Well, uh, I, I've always tried to look at what evidence I present. I've read some stuff and I've heard the evidence, heard what you've just said. Uh, I think that the government will need to think about that quite carefully. Um, the, the risk, uh, I mean, clearly the risk between one and two metres, as you just said, does double, but actually still it's relatively small, uh, and it would allow uh, a lot more to happen. I mean, I haven't read enough evidence about it, but I'm certainly prepared to consider it. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio majority of primary schools did reopen yesterday uh, for reception year one and year six schools. Uh, re- um, the number of children who turned up it varied between 40% and 70% attendance in different areas. But let's find out how it happened uh, at Queen's Hill Primary and Nursery School in Costasi near Norwich. Let's talk to their head teacher, Penny Shepherd, who kindly joins us now. Good morning to you, Penny. Good morning. How are you? Okay, very well. I should say Miss Shepherd. I suddenly go, when I go into a school teacher mode, hey, Miss Shepherd. Oh, hey, Miss Shepherd. How did yesterday day go how many children turned up so we were open um just for our reception children we're doing a gradual phase um approach to our return and we had 46 out of 75 children return so that's about 60 percent so i think that's probably in line with the figures that you were and are you are you expecting more children to come as parents perhaps chat to other parents uh, and and realize that that this is safe we know that there are a number of children who are vulnerable or who are in families that are shielding so we know that some children don't have a choice at the moment and they will be staying off school um but we have a number of parents who are undecided um some of them changed their minds over the weekend and that was absolutely fine we've planned for capacity so that it doesn't matter who you know 
if all of them yeah. want to turn up, then, then you can cope with it. I imagine, though, on the first day back, actually, it's probably a bit easier to have uh, only 60% of the children because you, you can socially distance more. We've seen some pictures uh, on the news and on the front page of lots of papers today of children going back looking, I have to say, delighted to be back I in know, school. They I know, were, they were my daughter children would, as well. Yeah, Great. they're <laughs> desperate to get back. Um, but again, you know, children, you know, young children love school. Um, but but also um, the, the seeing the teachers in all the gear, all the PPE, the masks and, and holding up those temperature guns. What have you had to do to keep your teachers and the children safe? Tell us how it works in the classroom. Okay, so we didn't go to those um, measures. What we did, um, we've, we make sure the windows and the doors stay open. We're doing as much outdoor learning as we can. Um, we've got children in pods of up to 15 children. Um, we've moved uh, all our soft furnishings out. We've uh, removed dressing up toys, you know, things that we know that uh, we can't clean very easily. So um, it's really just been in, in the thought process about, you know, how we can make the, the environment as safe as possible. The children are washing their hands as soon as they arrive at school. Um, and we have key points during the day where, where they wash their hands as well. So good hygiene is a key to children returning. And have you found it difficult to keep children apart? Because everyone says you know, the one group of children you can't get to socially distance are the, uh, are the reception four and five-year-olds. How, how difficult has it been? Um, well, we've, had, we've been open, as many schools have, um, for, for the last few weeks. Um, and we've had up to 60 children in our childcare. We can encourage children, but children will be children and they yeah. will play together Um if we get more than two or three together, you know, we say, come on, children, remember to stay apart. Um, the children are aware, but we don't want school to be a scary place for them. You, you know, it's about their emotional well-being as much yes. as keeping them safe. And, and a lot of this, I mean, I think a lot of people are saying you know, parents would be scared. And there's a few articles in the papers today about you know, managing your child's anxiety. And I always thought the same when my child went to school. If you if you play this as something to be anxious about, your children will be anxious. If you're saying, great, we get to go back to school. Yay. Oh, this is a new fun game, the way we're going to do it. Kids will be perfectly happy with it. They don't Absolutely. know any different. Yeah, we so we've got school dogs, and we had um, the school dog was on the gate. Now, obviously, at the, oh. at the moment, the moment they can't actually stroke the school dogs. But you know, the, it was it, we were having a sense of normality for the children um, on the other gate because we had uh, you know we we're making sure that people were socially distanced. Um, we had bubbles out on the playground to make it fun for the children. You know, if they I want that, to go to your school, oh. but I don't want to send my kid to your school. I want to go to your school. Oh, it sounds brilliant. Lovely. You to say no but it's about making it fun isn't it for the children and make it you know whatever is going on in the world we need children who feel you know they need to be nurtured and they need to feel loved and cared for and that's the most important thing now you sound a bit too nice to get involved in politics and very wisely but what are your thoughts just what would your message be to the the, the schools who are saying nope can't come back too risky don't want to don't think it'll work I think you just need to know what's going on in your community. You know, we know that it's, you know, in Norfolk, we've had relatively few cases compared to the rest of the country. So I think, you know, head teachers need to look at the risks in their community. Um, and just it's all in the planning. It's about in the planning and preparation. And, you know, it, you do what is right for your school and your community. And if you want to go slow, then that's fine. If you feel that you can have those priority year groups, then that's fine as well. I think, okay. you know, there's not one size fits all at the moment. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 